0: I like the statement that the president of the African Development Bank said at the World Economic Forum in Davos that for us to actually realize the potential of the African continental Free Trade area, we have to make it work for the 99% we're talking about uh, women, we are talking about small to medium enterprises, those are the people that
1: actually need to be considered in the
0: framework. There's
1: still a lot that needs to be done in terms of sensitization, in terms of information that needs to be given to informal traders whether it's in the form of infographics pamphlets or just discussions held at grassroots level
2: good evening everyone and welcome to the africa Asia podcast the africa we want uh it's another good day to be discussing uh, a topic on africa trade so with me tonight is chido as always and we have a guest ayanda I will have Ayanda introduce herself and then Chido will say hi and we'll get started with the discussion. Ayanda. Good evening,
1: everybody. Uh, my name is Ayanda Nontogo Zumbofu. I am a candidate legal practitioner based in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. I have two degrees from Rhodes University, the first being a Bachelor of Commerce and the second being a Bachelor of Laws. And my interest areas, Uh, trade, competition, IP law, especially looking at consumer protection and environmental law. And I'm very happy to be here to discuss one of my most favorite topics, if I'm being completely honest.
2: Okay, okay. Ayanda, it's lovely to have you tonight. And Chido, you can say hi uh, to everyone. And Chido can then go on ahead to introduce our topic of tonight by starting to give a brief summary for free trade area and especially focusing on the after. Chido? Uh,
0: thank you so much, Kristen. It really feels good to be back. Uh, I think I took a week or leave of absence last week and I really missed being on the podcast show. So, again, guys, this is Chido and I'm so excited to be here today talking about um, one of my most favorite topics, which is informal cross border trading in Africa, uh, mainly because. In so far I have knowledge from obviously attending school and learning about it, I also had to witness um firsthand in my own household uh quite a lot in respect of informal cross-border trading. But before we get into the conversation, let me not just let me not jump the gun and uh do as requested, uh, which is basically to give an overview of uh intra-Africa trade, particularly in respect of the African Continental Free Trade Era, the AFCFTA. So I think uh, as we already know now, the excitement is obviously dying down. We were so excited in January uh, that the AFCFTA was fin- was officially launched on the 1st of January, 20, 2021, uh, with the first trading um, arrangement or transaction happening live in terms of the preferential trade terms and we were so excited. But now it almost feels like the excitement is dying down, not because the IF FCFTA has ceased to exist, but because it's not a one day process but there are constant negotiations that they have to take uh, things. So basically um the FCFTA is um is aimed to create a single market for goods and services and facilitates for the movement or the better movement of persons to promote industrial development and sustainable economic growth within the continent and this is in light of the agenda 263 which basically is trying is aimed at an africa that we want where there is you know great economic development so maybe just to to try and appraise uh, up, our listeners as to where we are currently so when the afcfta was Officially launched on the first of january twenty twenty one there were what I would call phase one negotiations had already been completed. so within the phase one negotiations, there was um the agreement itself establishing the African continental free trade area. There was a protocol on trade in goods. A protocol on trade and services, and also a protocol on rules and procedures on the settlement of disputes and their annexes and, and, and appendices. But what I also need to highlight is just because we got to a point where it was announced that these had been um, successfully negotiated, it doesn't necessarily mean that all the nitty gritties that pertain to those ag- uh, agreements had already been uh, concluded. For instance, right now, there are issues that are still outstanding like rules of origins schedule of tariff concessions and schedules of specific commitments on the five priority sectors which is basically the business services the communication services finance tourism and tr- transport and these outstanding issues they are very integral to the full operation of the African Continental free trade area. So before we obviously judge and say it's not working or it's not operational or there's not much that's happening, we also need to understand that these are some of the underlying issues that are still being negotiated that actually underpin the whole, uh, the whole structure for the African continental free trade area. And secondly, maybe to also indicate that within the phase two of negotiations, which we currently are in right now, and people are obviously busy trying to negotiate, um there is there there has to be a protocol on um there has to be a protocol on on, on, on competition law, uh protocol on investment facilitation that also has to be negotiated within the second phase of negotiation. And then uh, we then have the phase three that will obviously speak to the protocol on e-commerce or the digital trade protocol, as they are obviously probably going to change it, to, which is something very exciting for me. So I think basically that what I want to add on to the the knowledge that we've already, you know, put out there, Christine, in respect of the AFCFT, because I'm coming from this perspective that we have have spoken about it for, for a long time. We have appraised the public with respect to the needed gritties as to the objectives and the benefits. So maybe just to add on to that, this is currently where um, negotiators are at this moment. And this is probably uh, just to say this is the direction that we are taking as a continent. And it's still an exciting initiative and we should continue being excited about it.
2: Okay, Chido, this is quite uh, good information you're adding on to the discussions we have already had in the past. And But if the unique aspect of today's discussion also is because of it's the informal cross-border trading. And this is noting, like uh, we've noted in the past, around 70% of, at least the statistics then from the OECD were that 70% uh, of trading within Africa is in the informal sector. So if there's any cross-border trading, then the informal sector would Imagine that's where we'll be seeing quite a bit of movement. Even if, as you've noted, that there's quite a lot that might have to be uh, finalised before we can judge it effectively and say the after is not working. Ayanda, if I may ask you for your perspective on uh, what are the challenges uh, of, you know, like that are being experienced, you know, with cross-border trade, and how can the after framework help? Alleviate some of these challenges. You could also, you know, like mention about some uh, notable benefits of cross-border trading in both in boosting the economy. Um, and you're free to speak about the perspective from Zimbabwe, where you're based, to South Africa, to Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. Just generally comment on that.
1: Um, with trade in general in Africa. It's no secret that even before we started the A F C F T A um, trade negotiations, there were already trading blocks that were in existence, with, with, in existence rather, um, in Africa. With the most spoken about being Comesa and SADC, and one of the main issues was that, in as much as if we bring it down to the SADC region, in as much as one of the primary factors that led to the establishment of SADC was to try and facilitate trade and development within the SADC region, it is notable that there have been challenges in the implementation of um, a lot of the actual policies. And one of the main challenges I would say is, depending on the country, if we bring it back to Zimbabwe specifically, we have infrastructure challenges if we're we're looking at um, I would give it the 90s we had a very good railway system which was being used by both formal and informal traders to travel between South Africa and Zimbabwe but over the years the collapse of that railway system has led to informal traders especially those that um, live and work within the inside of Zimbabwe to be able to get the goods that they usually trade with and then when we look at places like Mozambique, the instability in that region also makes it very difficult for the implementation of policies, in um, especially in terms of trying to stabilize the Sadiq region as a whole. Um, I remember when it was earlier this year when the insurgents started um, again in Mozambique, there was a lot of discourse, especially within the economic and commercial sphere, about whether it is possible for trade to be, uh, to be done within this region considering that instability. And a lot of the fear was that with an instability like that, for investment and for trade to actually be able to stabilize would be very difficult. Um, when it comes to informal trading, Zimbabwe specifically, we have our vibrant border post between Zim and South Africa. And maybe
0: Christine, just to pick up from where she lived and trying probably to narrow or zero down the conversation to um, specifically informal trade, uh, I might just want to say that the informal sector is considered to be a significant aspect of the African economy and labor markets because it plays a very integral role in production, um, in employment and income generation. Right. So giving you a, a very vivid picture or an example of what that means. Like I said earlier, I grew up in an environment where I could actually witness you know, cross-border trading happening. So my mom, I have always openly said on this podcast that she's a teacher, but during the weekends, she would cross the border into South Africa or Zambia and bring staff to resell, right? And that obviously had an implication on our own household income, right? And if, if, if you then think about the other women that she would participate in, that, in those activities with, they were not uh, gainfully or formally employed. So that became their own source of employment and income generation. I, I was actually reading an, a report by the Afriks in Bank, Christian, which was very interesting because it actually says that for the for the framework of the A F C F T A itself to actually you know realize the objectives that it was created for, right, it actually has to strengthen informal cross border trading in zimbabwe that is the n- not in zimbabwe sorry but in africa that is the only, not the only but the most important way that it can actually realize its potential this is premised on the fact that in africa inasmuch as we might not have the clear statistics as to how much or, or, or how much constitutes uh, informal cross border trading from all the trade statistics that we have it is believed that they actually constitute the majority of the of, of cross border trading that is happening in real time. So, if we are going to be realizing the potential of the AfCFTA, we actually need to strengthen the structures to make sure that we empower the informal cross border traders within the continent. Then we are able to talk about having created a single market for goods and services and free movement of people. So, if you then uh, maybe giving you an example of East Africa, right? You realize that. It is believed that informal cross-border trading could actually be worth as much as 80% of all the trade that happens within East Africa. And that's quite a huge number because then that basically says that if uh we 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 are saying in 2020, I'm just saying figures from the top of my head uh the trade the trade that was that happened collectively within the within the east african community was to the tune of let's say 3 billion us dollars it basically means that 80% from that from that 3 billion dollars was actually through informal cross border trading which then shows the significance that informal cross border trading actually has within the continent and i was also reading this other guy who was saying you know what the problem that um the FCFT might actually might actually have will come from the mere fact that informal cross-border traders are so underestimated within the framework. If you try to compare the FCFTA framework and the European Union framework or other regional economic um, and, or communities across the globe, you realize that it will not make sense because of this uh, how can i say the polarization of cross-border trading specifically in africa so you have got europe which basically uh is i mean there are so many formal formal economies within the european union that so you can't really try to take a model for integration within the european union and think that it would really work for africa mainly because africa got informal cross-border traders and because that's what I would probably assume negotiators within the AFCFTA framework did, you realize that we do not actually have specific rules or specific uh, policies that speak to informal cross-border trading and, and for that reason alone I, I would almost assume that the AFCFTA is doomed before it actually you know realizes its full potential. I think Ayanda is back and she might want to say something. Okay.
1: So, can I ask, um, Chido, if you mentioned anything about um, taxes and tariffs about informal cross-border traders? No,
2: no, no. Ayanda, you can cover it. All right.
1: So, when it comes to taxes and tariffs, a lot of the times when it comes to informal cross-border trading, they are taxed at a very different level to your formal Trading um, your formal trading partners in a sense. So, with formal trade, we have taxes such as tariffs and non tariff um, trading barriers that are in existence. So, your tariffs are the usual taxes that we know where if you're importing maize and you're importing one time, you pay a tax on 10% of that maize or however that country um, chooses to uh, tax that import. But then when it comes to informal cross border trading, because they are importing at a much uh, smaller proportion to your bigger known companies, um, the taxing income is much lower. And there is what is known as a continental simplified trade regime, which they want to introduce through the African um, free trade area, which makes it possible for people to trade informally but it also makes it more affordable for your informal sector to carry out operations through formal channels so what this then allows is for informal traders to actually step in and contribute in a quantifiable manner to the overall success of the continental free trade area and as chido mentioned there is a lot of these issues that have not been fully ventilated and discussed or assessed by our policymakers. Because with Zimbabwe specifically, if we're looking, not even looking at it in, a, in terms of, of um, intra regional trade, looking at it from the perspective of just trade within the country, the informal sector makes up at least 80% of the trade that is actually currently going on in this economy and that on its own should cause some negotiation or should at least cause at the very least policymakers to have the curiosity on how to harness that sector and um, before I was cut off I was talking about the bridge trade between um, informal traders in bridge and Messina in South Africa that is one of I would say the largest informal trading hotspots within the country and by implementing the AF um, CFTA if you are able to find a way to incorporate that trade and make it possible for those traders to not only be able to make up part of the formal channels as chido had alluded to but to also allow them to be able to formalize their trade in the sense of creating ways of Assessing how competition is to be, um, to be uh, what's the word? Is to be the word has completely left me. I'll jump back in. Uh, I
2: understand. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, from the comments that 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 you both made, uh, what someone could get out of this is the after how it's been negotiated, it needed to take into account a lot of the informal sector or how informal businesses uh, work across Africa. And like what uh, Chido is saying, like within the East Africa community, most of the business that happens is within the informal sector, which indeed is the case because you even find, even someone set up in Uganda and, and, and let's say the other person set up in Kenya, their businesses there are informal as it is. So you find someone who may maybe just sells clothes or sells shoes or they just sell, uh, small foodstuffs, they are not the big companies that maybe supply food food across uh, across Africa. They're not the big uh, supermarkets. It's not ShopRite. It will be these small uh, traders who will be just selling a few foodstuffs here and there. And then now what happens is that they learn that they can bring some of these things into Kenya. So then what they do is that maybe they just get another informal trader who they can trade with. So indeed, that's because the majority of the trade or the the economy in each of these African countries is informal. Then the people who can push this uh, the after forward will be the informal trader. And even as you're saying about tax, that's indeed a lot uh, something that needs to be considered. And especially when you think about someone who is just importing something uh, something small or. Because taxes will be based on the good. it's not uh, like if it's custom duty, it's based on the goods that you're importing or exporting, uh, not the quantity of it. And then also something to the effect that uh, these people may, they may not even be formally registered. So in their countries, they may not have, have any formal registration there. They just basically just trade mm-hmm. in that way. So again the clearing procedures at the borders and then the taxes that they are charged, they possibly will need to claim a rebate for them in the country. Quite a bit that might need to be thought about for uh, informal traders ac- ac- accommodating them. Uh, but I think to just speak more about like what Ayander, are you aware of like the general level of awareness of after among uh, cross-border traders in Zim and especially in mm-hmm. the informal sector? In short, um, is, is it a, something common talk that you hear someone has a shop and they, they're thinking I could possibly go to Zambia to buy something and, and I'll use the AFTER framework? Are you are you aware of that? And also, uh, if you could also speak about any general area, any general matters on the informal sector and trading under the AFTER. Uh, and then, Chido, you can also comment on the same as we will start winding up the discussion.
1: Ayanda? Um, As to general awareness, as far as the AFCFTA is concerned, I wouldn't say that informal traders within the Zimbabwean context are aware of this um, trade agreement or of the benefits that they'd be able to reap. And this is because of the issue when it comes to the top-down approach that exists when it comes to um, information surrounding such um, policies, especially within Zimbabwe. Um, Going back to just the general understanding of the people that make up the informal trading sphere, it's people that don't normally have access to things like Your news channels, they might not watch the news every day, and it's not people who ordinarily read newspapers or are very much into current affairs. And so, because of that, that information to them is unattainable. And so, they're really not aware that there is such a framework and that there are such benefits for them. And on the basis of that, I would say that governments really do need to do more to raise awareness of this framework because it's something that's spoken about in passing, but it's not something that is actually discussed in depth. Because looking at the benefits that would actually be reaped in the African free trade area is that one of the primary things that they're trying to do is to reduce poverty. And the best way to reduce poverty, I beg your pardon, and to broaden economic inclusion is by, as Chido had mentioned, roping in the informal sector. Because according to the facts and figures, there are about 30 million Africans that are living in poverty, in extreme poverty. And to be able to sensitize them of the provisions of the afcfta and the benefits that exist within the afcfta they would then be able to actively work towards moving out of that um sphere yes yes. they'll be able to move out of that sphere and looking at even just the amounts um, according to the world bank that is of the projected decline across the continent of our uh extreme poverty numbers with Central Africa seeing a decline of 9.3 million, East Africa seeing a decline of 4.8 million, and Southern Africa seeing a decline of 3.9 million. if we are, And this is only looking at the decline when we're doing it through the formal channels. If we were then to rope in the informal sector and allow for this information to be given to them, these numbers would increase exponentially. Therefore, um, on that basis alone, I think that... There's still a lot that needs to be done in terms of sensitization, in terms of information that needs to be given to informal traders, whether it's in the form of infographics, pamphlets, or just discussions held at grassroots level.
2: Agreed, agreed. Especially when you consider that most of these sectors, many people who are very caught up with the daily routine of either trading, doing this and that, so even developing their businesses to think about what's cross-border and what can be done there, they don't have much of that information. But then also I think uh, something to mention is like financing. So because they are very informal in nature, so sometimes they don't have even the little capital to run their business as it is. So even like the cost of like expanding across another different African country Mm -hmm. is something that they possibly will need to be made aware of. Like what would be the cost cost implications of this? If it's like the taxes, what would be the tax implications of this? So because that information is what would also help push forward uh, the trade. But Chido, if you could also comment on the general awareness and also maybe suggest uh, areas for consideration for someone who wanted to make it a bit more uh, people more knowledgeable in this area and for them to be aware of benefits that they could drive from after.
0: Thank you Ayada for such insightful remarks uh, I'm going to differ with you guys uh, on two perspectives and I'll explain the perspectives and why and also maybe for me to then explain exactly my standpoint i might actually want to go back to the very definition of uh, what informal cross-border trading itself is right so my understanding of cross-border informal cross-border trading is trade that happens between neighboring countries but is conducted by vulnerable small and unregistered traders so the reason why I had to make this definition is I'm going to really speak on the issue that these traders are unregistered, right? So in this, I think the, the problem that that happens is people tend to think that MSMEs and informal cross-border trading are synonymous, which is not entirely true, but in a way it is true. So with 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 MSMEs, not all of them are unregistered. Not all of them are that vulnerable. So yes, when you're talking about the micro uh, aspect of MSMEs, then you're talking about obviously informal cross-border trading being a part of it. But with most small to medium enterprises, these are actually you know small-scale companies that are registered but they are small in terms of the people that they employ and the capital that they retain and, and all these other things. Why it's important to actually note that informal cross-border trading is unregistered? It is important because it's the contribution that informal cross-border trading has to state fiscals, right? So the the first thing that we need to actually note is their contribution is limited because not all of them actually do pay taxes. There's also been... Uh, I think um, the the area or the the line that actually has to separate informal cross-border trading and smuggling has been so blurred, especially in most African countries, because more often than not, smuggling is done by informal cross-border traders. So at at the end of the day, all of them do not pay, not, not all of them, because that would be a, a, a very bad generalization, but most of them do not pay taxes. They don't pay customs duties. They, they they literally do not declare most of the things that they move across borders. So as a result, there is not very much implication on government revenue that comes from informal cross-border trading. Um, Zimbabwe decided to conduct a study and they obviously decided not to name the the specific border post for uh, privacy concerns. But in the 10 days that they were actually monitoring progress within across that border, they realized that only 37% of informal cross-border traders were actually uh, making duty payments to importing or export to the importing countries. And that's a very limited number because we are talking of more than 80% of all traders in a specific country. But from the 80%, only 37% of them are actually making duty payments. So at the end of the day, you realize that number one, they are and they, they it, it's it's very difficult for them to then think of expanding into other uh borders or into other territories because that requires them to actually be a registered entity i'll give an example of what happened uh when i was probably in upper six there about zimra went around and um confiscated a lot of um clothes um food items or whatever that had crossed borders from south africa into zimbabwe through inform through uh, informal channels that had not been declared on the borders and i tell you this a lot of informal cross-border traders lost their um their capital they lost their uh, goods and and all these other things commodities because they were passing through borders and declared and for some it's not because they really want to smuggle but because they just do not have a general awareness of why it's important to pay duties and why it's important to go through customs controls, right? So I wanted to just point it out there because, because I feel like then it gives us a better perspective as to why I'm Pro- probably inclined toward this argument that says the African continental framework itself it does not cater for uh, for sp- especially informal cross border traders. I understand there are conversations with respect to empowering women and making sure that you know um, they are incorporated in the framework and also small to medium. Uh, micro, small to medium enterprises. But I feel like there is that, again, generalization that if we empower women or if we make them part of the after framework, automatically we are also including informal cross-border traders because uh, 70% of informal cross-border traders are women. And again, there is this assumption that if we include or if we inter- integrate in small to medium enterprises, we are automatically catering for informal cross-border trading traders. But the reality of it is there is always going to be that group that remains marginalized until and unless we actually have got specific policies that define what is informal cross-border trading in terms of the African Continental free trade area and come up with specific rules that apply or preferential terms that apply to cross-border, informal cross-border traders. And going back to the issue of awareness, I'm going to generally disagree partially on this concept that most of informal cross-border traders, um, not very much into current affairs. You know why I'm saying so? Because if you look at an economy like Zimbabwe, most of the people that are informal cross border traders are not informal cross-border traders because they want to do that but because it's of the high unemployment rate in the country these are people who can't find formal jobs, so they would rather do informal cross-border trading so that they survive, and I remember I, I gave an example earlier when you started that my mom, she's formally employed right, but because the salary itself is inadequate in to actually cater for her daily needs she then has to supplement with informal cross-border trading, so the, the, the general awareness with regards to the African continental free trade area is not only for informal cross-border traders, not only for MSMEs, but generally the continent at large. And I feel like we need to do better as um you know the as as people who are generally aware of these issues to make sure that information gets to every each and every one of them so i remember having a conversation with my mom and she pretty much asked me what this is about she was like is it something that i should be excited about right so she heard about it in the news she is obviously you know reading the papers and what media is is, is saying in respect of the African continental free trade area, but I feel like governments are not taking the initiative to then sit down in smaller clusters with these people and actually explain what this is about and what it means for them. Because I feel like if you then uh, get a, a newspaper article that says the AFTA has become operational or it has been officially launched today, you have no idea, you know, you have no idea how it specifically applies to your side hustle. So, I feel like we then need to have those small clusters that we or or, or initiatives where we people are sat down with, and they are told what it means for them as individuals and not as the continent at large. So, I feel like the problem is with informational asymmetries. I feel like information has to be broken down to an extent that a person actually understands what it means for them and uh maybe just to put it out there is also a recommendation over and above having a working definition and legal frameworks to legitimize um informal cross-border trading i feel like there also has to be a very clear legal di- uh, distinction between smuggling and informal cross border trading because we obviously in as much as I say most of them don't pay taxes, so most of them smuggle, that doesn't necessarily mean that all the money drain that's happening within the continent as a result of smuggling is as a result of informal cross border trading. Because there are all other huge enterprises that are making um that are taking this this grey area that exists within our framework to their advantage to make sure that they continue with smuggling and and or and, uh, you know the the illicit outflows through other channels, um, like we've o- o- always uh, spoken of, and I feel like it's very important that within the sector itself, we try to streamline procedures and border controls to keep the cost of compliance minimum, specifically for cross informal cross border traders. I think Ayanda mentioned this that. Most of these informal cross-border traders, they are not really trading in high volumes. But then if you amalgamate the trade that they do collectively, you realize that they, they, they then become in large volumes. But individually, they are not trading in large volumes. So the cost of compliance is, if it's high, for so a person who's probably just going to be uh, getting 10 pairs of jeans from South Africa and two pairs of sneakers and three blankets, and they probably have to pay equally a, a, around the same amount as somebody who's bringing in a container, it becomes a challenge. So countries have to be streamlined in a way that cater for those people that are trading minimally and, you know, giving, you know, taking a, taking um into consideration the fact that they are slow and unregistered and unregistered by virtue of them not having enough capital and not having enough um, re- not meeting the the requirements for them to be registered entities and i remember talking to somebody who used to do um you know cross-border trading well informal trading China, South Africa, and I asked them why they stopped and they say that the cost of um the cost of duty for a container was more or less the same for the few items that you was taking and it didn't make economic sense. So I feel like as a result that that obviously um sort of motivates informal cross border traders to remain uh, you know, hidden and shrouded in secrecy because the moment they start doing this in the open, then they are shocked by the cost of compliance. Which basically then is the whole purpose of trying to be in, within this um, this sector initially. So, this is just what I wanted to say. I don't know if it then sticks to what you had specifically asked, but I just wanted to put it out there uh, that their nature then itself makes them even more vulnerable to the framework that actually exists currently.
2: Interesting, Chido. Uh, thanks for those comments. And I would like to put it uh, to our listeners to let them know that we we are developing a training uh, to help break down these concepts for anyone who is involved like informal trade. And they would like, or whichever kind of trade they're involved in, and they would like more information, uh, we'll be developing that training and sharing it. And then also a, a discussion, I think we need to have a distinction that Chido has uh, made between informal trade that also seems to be smuggling, and whether indeed uh i'm sure informal traders would say they're not smuggling they're just informal traders. but i think we can have that additional discussion at some point ayanda if you could make your closing remarks and then chido and then we will end the podcast discussion for tonight
1: thank you so much um i believe that the informal trade is a major area that needs to be highlighted and discussed. And as Chido mentioned, there are a lot of intricacies within that trade framework that haven't been taken into account. Um, Particularly, I mean, going back to um, the whole discussion about how a lot of these informal traders are trading just to survive, I would put it to, the national governments, because this is something that I believe needs to be addressed at a very national level, is over and above just giving information to the informal traders. As Chido was saying, sometimes compliance becomes very difficult for there to be a mechanism at the national level, at the regional level that allows for informal traders to be able to access things such as um, financial resources, such as for example, pension schemes even, because it's not only the youth that form part of the informal um, trading sector. But over and above that, um, to, have a schedule of tariffs that are specifically targeted or specifically with informal traders in mind because informal trade is something that will not just magically disappear just because we have opened up um trade within the african continent and it's something that governments really need to sit down and consider when they're considering things like liberalization of trade like how to empower your informal traders whether you're empowering the informal traders within the rural context or whether you're empowering the informal traders that we find in the cities and it would be a very interesting um, implementation strategy that that uh, would need to be done um, especially at the national level especially at um, look thinking of my own country uh, and trying to see how they would sensitize informal traders of the advantages and the disadvantages of the um, afcfta and how they would actually try and liberalize that trade and try and find a way of ensuring effective integration to ensure that the overall objective of empowerment um, that the afcfta is trying to um, introduced within the continent is actually realized and not just for your big conglomerate companies that are trading at a much larger scale. Thank you so much.
2: Okay, Ayanda, thanks a lot for coming by tonight. Uh, Chido, I don't know if you have any closing remarks.
0: Thank you, Christine, and I'll try to be very quick as possible. So I like the statement that the president of the African Development Bank said at the World Economic Forum in Davos that for us to actually realize the potential of the African continental free trade area, we have to make it work for the 99%. And the 99%, then we're talking about youth, we're talking about informal cross-border traders, we're talking about uh, women, we are talking about small to medium enterprises. Those are the people that actually need to be considered in the framework. And not to you know, be all salty and whatever, I, I think if we try to look closely at the framework, they are really trying so hard to make sure that they, you know, they integrate these groups and they also empower them in a way. And I hear through the corridors that they might actually be, in a way, a protocol that is specifically um, for women to try and bridge the gender gap. And I feel like that would be a very important step towards, you know, even empowering cross-border informal informal cross-border traders at large, mainly because, like I said, 70% percent of them are actually women in Africa but I want to say that for us to expect the African continental free trade area to address that we have within the continent all of them that would be very hypocritical on our part mainly because I feel like we can't just you know have a framework at continental level that really speaks to informal cross-border traders when we do not have the same framework regionally within the small regional economic communities that we have, number one, and national policies that actually ensure that informal cross-border traders are encouraged to formalize. So I think with every person, if anyone tried to have a business at some point, they would agree that the overall objective is so that you grow your business into something bigger, which basically means that informal cross-border traders they have remained small and vulnerable not because of of their own doing but because of the macroeconomic factors and all the other socioeconomic factors that surround them and if we try to look closely within the trading system all we'll, you know, the national non tariff barriers that the tariffs themselves and the red tapes that exists at our borders and that has obviously stifled their growth so i feel like the first step, step that governments have to do is to make sure that Informal cross-border um, traders are sensitized, like I understand. Number two, that they are encouraged to be, inc- they are encouraged and they in- they are integrated in- into the formal economy. Number three. Move towards the removal of non tariff barriers and obviously the reduction of tariffs as the African continental field trade is is, is trying to achieve so that they can benefit from the small that they are doing and then they can, you know, they have that room to grow and expand and register and become, you know, small enterprises and then develop into larger uh, conglomerates. And I also want to say that the goal of Economic economic develop okay achieving economic development trade is just but one aspect of trying to achieve economic development and you know empowering our people and moving people out of poverty but it cannot happen on its own so we're obviously talking about good governance we're talking about having in place structures that make sure that they support the fr- the, the framework that is there number three. In, in ensuring that uh there, there is adequate infrastructure that possible to realize the goal. And I feel like if we do that, it would obviously be be better. Um I think if there's something that COVID nineteen has taught us is the importance of informal cross border traders because when borders were closed, a lot of people could not feed themselves. And that obviously led to how and why economies are shrinking currently in within the continent. And I feel like as a result, we need to harness those um lessons that we've that we are we are picking throughout and and see and, and try to come up with a way that actually works uh and empower the informal cross border traders integrate them into the informal uh, economy and again you know move towards a sustainable economic growth and i just wanted to also reiterate that yes we have trainings for informal cross border traders for small and medium enterprises where they can come and learn these things in a in a simple and broken down format so that they understand how it applies to them on a personal and individual level and not for countries and uh, and the continent because if we are being very honest with ourselves countries don't trade with one another it's the people within the borders that trade with one another thank you christine for that
2: okay uh chido thank you very much and ayanda it was great having you both tonight and for our listeners thank you so much for always coming by you can always keep in touch with us and drop us any questions that you have on our social media platforms. Thank you very much and goodbye for now.